welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Wednesday, April 24th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, young voter turnout is way up. Jay Inslee calls for a debate specifically devoted to climate change. Where the candidates stand on legalizing marijuana. What's up with the 15% threshold? And a look at the candidates' cash on hand. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up, some news on voter turnout during the 2018 midterm elections. This is a leading indicator of what we might expect in a 2020 election, and the news from yesterday evening is simple. Young people are turning out in historic numbers. According to Jordan Misra at the U.S. Census Bureau, writing about the 2018 election, and yes, this is your tax dollars in action, quote, Voter turnout went up among all voting age and major racial and ethnic groups. 53% of the citizen voting age population voted in 2018, the highest midterm turnout in four decades, while the 2014 election had the lowest, end quote. I think we should digest that one for a moment, because there are a lot of important numbers there, and some of them are actually implied rather than stated. So, to recap, turnout overall was the highest in 40 years. But the midterm right before that one, the midterm in 2014, had the lowest turnout in more than 70 years. That change is shocking, and it has real implications for what may happen in the general election coming up in 2020. But that's not all. Things get really interesting when you focus in on younger voters. Here's one more bit from Misra. Quote, Among 18 to 29-year-olds, voter turnout went from 20% in 2014 to 36% in 2018, the largest percentage point increase for any age group, a 79% jump, end quote. Well, okay, so saying that a little over a third of young voters came out to vote in 2018 may not sound like much, right? But to put that in perspective, the Washington Post reports that the 2018 turnout for that age range was the highest in a hundred years. Let me say that one more time for the folks in the back. Young people turned out at the highest rate in a century in the 2018 midterms. The Post also noted that turnout among voters ages 30 to 44 went up as well. Overall, this means that everybody from age 18 all the way up to age 44 is turning out in much higher numbers than we've seen in a very long time. Here's a bit from the Washington Post. Quote, Democrats won 67% support among voters younger than 30 and 58% among those ages 30 to 44 both groups in which turnout increased dramatically compared with 2014, end quote. The Post also spoke to Michael McDonald, an associate professor at the University of Florida and an expert in voter turnout. McDonald called the 2018 midterm, quote, the storm of the century, end quote. And Ed Kilgore over at New York Magazine also looked at what McDonald had to say, quoting McDonald again. Even states without competitive statewide elections saw record turnout which makes clear that national factors, including support and opposition to the Trump presidency, were driving factors to the polls, end quote. And Kilgore went on to comment on that, quote, with Trump himself on the ballot, any boost he provided to midterm turnout should continue, if not intensify, in 2020. But as the same report showed, another factor that apparently helped improve turnout in 2018 should do the same in 2020, 
the steady spread of reforms making it easier to register to vote and to cast votes from home, end quote. All right, so the takeaway here is that if Democrats put a viable candidate in the field in 2020, just based on the raw voter turnout numbers we're seeing lately, that candidate has a good shot of winning the race. And that's especially true if the candidate can build a coalition that explicitly includes and appeals to younger voters. That does not mean the candidate must actually be a young person, but it does mean the candidate has to speak seriously about issues that matter to that group. Washington Governor Jay Inslee published an open letter on Medium on Monday calling for his fellow candidates to insist on a Democratic primary debate specifically on the issue of climate change. Now, this is a story that I missed on Earth Day, and indeed, it's one of the few clear Earth Day messages that I've seen from any primary candidate. Jay Inslee, in case you're not familiar, is a single-issue candidate, and that issue for him is climate change. In the letter, Inslee noted that back in the 2016 debates, quote, just five minutes and 27 seconds were devoted to discussing climate change. I'm sure you share my belief that we cannot allow that to happen again in 2020, end quote. In the short letter, Inslee claimed that climate change is the underlying issue of the moment, that is, quote, at the heart of every issue that matters to voters, end quote. Unfortunately, his message was barely noticed. At the time I write this, there are only 51 claps on the story. On Medium, a clap is similar to a like on other platforms, except that one person can do up to 50 claps on a given story, and he got 51. Plus, there are no comments on the post. So just out of curiosity, I went to see what else Inslee has written on Medium. Because Medium is the same platform where Elizabeth Warren has issued a bunch of her detailed policy proposals lately, it seems like a relatively easy way to push out that information. And it turns out that this is the first article Inslee has ever written on Medium. And he has just one follower. So, the governor of Washington has a long way to go in this race. Okay, this past weekend included the date 420, which for those of you not in the know, is a reference to marijuana. Newsweek took that opportunity to comb through the primary candidates' previous statements to figure out where they stand on marijuana legalization. From the Newsweek piece, quote, National polling shows that the country overwhelmingly supports legalizing marijuana for both medical and recreational use. According to a 2018 Gallup poll, two in every three Americans support legalizing weed. That figure was backed up by a CBS poll conducted on the eve of 420, a date that has long been a national holiday for those inclined to celebrate cannabis culture even before the rush of states legalizing marijuana in recent years. End quote. The article goes on to point out that 10 states plus Washington, D.C. have already legalized recreational marijuana, and more than 30 states allow medical marijuana use. Now, the term legalized when applied to marijuana can be a little misleading here, since it's more like a decriminalization thing. At the federal level, these are still controlled substances. It's just that at the local level, state laws have changed, and generally federal laws are simply not enforced. Not yet, anyway. Okay. So I figure the best way to do this is to list who is in the legalize it camp and then who is in the don't legalize it camp. Now, if you want the actual background on a given candidate, like what legislation they've written or supported, 
go read that Newsweek article, link in the show notes, and there's a lot of detail there. Like Cory Booker actually introduced specific legislation around this. There's more about that. So first up, the candidates who clearly support legalizing marijuana. Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, Mike Gravel, Kamala Harris, Jay Inslee, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Eric Swalwell, Elizabeth Warren, Marianne Williamson, and Andrew Yang. And then you have a middle ground set of candidates who tend to favor state-by-state solutions or haven't presented a super strong position on the issue. They are John Delaney, John Hickenlooper, and Wayne Messam. They're all kind of a soft yes on marijuana. Okay, and now to list the primary candidates who are opposed to legalizing marijuana. Let me check my notes here. Let me get the spreadsheet ready. Uh, oh, actually there aren't any. Well, I guess I'll have to keep you posted on this clearly very divisive issue as the primary continues. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. One issue that we have not discussed yet on this show is this very wonky thing about how the Democratic primaries work. It's called the 15% rule or the 15% threshold. Now, I want to give you a taste of exactly how the DNC has written its rules. It's basically legalese. And the best way to really feel that, to get that inside you, is by reading just one paragraph from the DNC's official rules PDF. There's a link to that in the show notes if you need some light reading before bed. Okay, quote, Rule 14, Section B. States shall allocate district-level delegates and alternates in proportion to the percentage of the primary or caucus vote won in that district by each preference, except that preferences falling below a 15% threshold shall not be awarded any delegates. Subject to Section F of this rule, no state shall have a threshold above or below 15%. States which use a caucus-slash-convention system shall specify in their delegate selection plans the caucus level at which such percentages shall be determined. End quote. Okay, so here is my translation. In most states, if a candidate goes through a primary or a caucus and gets less than 15% of the vote, they end up with zero delegates at the convention where the candidate is actually chosen. Instead, the people who did get 15% of the vote, or more, split up the pie among themselves proportionally. This is obviously a real concern when you have a gigantic field of people who might get less than 15%, or right around 15%. The system tends to reward the bigger candidates and push out the very smallest ones, 
but it also might have really strange effects if you end up with candidates who poll right around that 15% threshold. So the problem is, if you don't hit 15%, you get nothing. If you do hit it, you might get more than 15% of the delegates from that state because other people fell just shy of that number and you get part of their people. This is going to affect every candidate's strategy going into the primaries. Alright, so the main candidate right now where this rule has been causing a lot of media angst is Bernie Sanders. There are a bunch of stories out there talking about how his current polling is way lower than his polling levels at the same time in the previous presidential cycle. Now, let me remind you, Bernie Sanders is the top polling candidate as I write this. But when Biden announces, he'll be on top. So, okay, that's fine. And to be fair, we did see a solid poll yesterday that put Sanders at 20%. The concern is that four years ago, Sanders had huge numbers, more like 40 or 50% in some states. And now he's down in the 20s or 30s. So that's bad for him, right? Well, not necessarily. At this point, we do have to ask, which candidates, if any, have actually risen above that 15% threshold in state-level polling because states are where it matters. And good old Ed Kilgore at New York Magazine did the math. To make a long story short, both Sanders and Biden are the only candidates who exceed 15% in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. Now in California, Kamala Harris also exceeds 15%. So if the primary vote happened tomorrow, it would effectively be a three-candidate race with the vast majority of delegates going to Biden and Sanders, plus some support for Harris. But of course, the vote does not happen tomorrow. It happens next year. I want to read one piece of analysis from Kilgore here. Quote, Over time, a winnowed field could lead to an overwhelming Biden lead that Sanders cannot overcome, or the converse and one or two or three of the currently below-the-threshold candidates could gain strength and begin to pick up delegates, and a new frontrunner or viable dark horse could emerge. But the thing to understand right now about Bernie Sanders is that he's in a great position to get a big chunk of delegates in the early going. 60% of the pledged delegates will be awarded in a two-week period from March 3rd until March 17th a bigger chunk than his share of the popular vote in polls would indicate, and also to survive to the later contests where a winnowed field means more votes and more delegates for the remaining candidates. End quote. So, this is a lens we will need to use as we get closer to the actual votes. The magic number that a candidate wants to reach is 15% in each of the early states, really all the states. Obviously, more is better, but if they can't hit that threshold, they might be effectively knocked out of the race within a two-week span. And let's face it, some might drop out before the voting even starts, given how many candidates currently poll at 1% or less. All right, last up today in the Cook Political Report, Kyle Roberts examines an important metric for primary candidates cash on hand, also referred to sometimes as COH. This is the amount of money a given candidate has in the bank right now. You know, contributions come in, spending goes out, and this is what's left over right now. Some candidates are spending a lot, notably Elizabeth Warren, while others are banking huge amounts, presumably so that they can spend it later on advertising and major events much later in the primary. With the current primary field so large and the donor base giving so freely, the amount of cash on hand for the candidates is far, far greater than it was four years ago. Reading from the report here, quote, 
Presidential candidates have disclosed a combined $136 million in cash on hand for Q1 2019. This is an incredible $123 million more than the $13 million that presidential candidates had on hand in Q1 2015. By this point in 2015, only U.S. Senators Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and neurosurgeon Ben Carson had raised more than $1 million. Their combined numbers accounted for $10 million of the $13 million total in that presidential race. In 2019, 15 candidates already have more than $1 million in cash on hand. End quote. So what makes this even wilder is that historically, Q2 is a much, much bigger fundraising moment for primary candidates, and then Q3 and Q4 are bigger still. So if that pattern somehow holds, which I'm not sure it even can, given the huge numbers we already have, we are on pace to see many records broken. Okay, one more quote from the report. Now, just before this part, Roberts compared Obama's cash on hand in 2011, which was double what all his Republican challengers had combined, versus what Trump currently has on hand compared to the combined Democratic field. Trump has less than half the money of all the Democrats combined. That's a distinct difference. Obama had double, and Trump has less than half. Now, what that means, that is very much up for debate. We are in uncharted territory here. Anyway, back to the report. Quote, Is it possible these fundraising numbers could be a gauge for the level of engagement of each party's base? It can be hard to measure engagement, especially this far out from Election Day, but the massive sums Democratic candidates have raised so far may indicate that the base is particularly interested in this election. This would be in keeping with 2018 trends that saw Democratic congressional candidates vastly outraise their GOP counterparts, even when they were relatively green candidates challenging an incumbent. End quote. That's it for another episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins. So... This is the last show in which I'll be able to make real jokes about Joe Biden not being a candidate. And it's too bad there weren't any real opportunities for that in today's stories. Oh well, well you, you win some, you lose some. But do prepare yourselves for an avalanche of media tomorrow when Biden announces. It's going to be all Biden, all the time, wall-to-wall kind of stuff. And I'm giving you permission to ignore that if you want to. I'm going to read it all, and I promise you I will pick only the important parts to tell you about. All right, I will talk to y'all tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.